The Book of Filth, Volume 1, and the Riverwalk Tales of Terror. Gigi, copyright, 2021 by Joshua Lee Diaz. All rights reserved. No part of this book may be reproduced in any form or by any electronic or mechanical means, including information, storage, and retrieval systems, without written permission from the author, except for the use of brief quotations in a book review. Chapter 1 What's in the satchel? Peggy asked the good-looking man who was seated on a broken bench down by the river's edge. The bench held him precariously low to the ground, sagging under his mighty athletic frame. His blue eyes looked at her, piercing her heart, making it beat faster. Peggy is caught off guard by how strikingly beautiful he is. Water. An apple. Protein bar. And Shakespeare. <laughs> Peggy laughs out loud. Shakespeare, she asks, amused. What on earth are you doing reading Shakespeare? She asked, annoying him now. I'm an actor. I act. I bet you do, she says with a sly smile as she catches the man. Look at the bulging cleavage from her sports bra. Double G tits with a capital hard on. A man had once complimented her. Peggy could see the younger man was already adjusting his legs for the erection she was sure he was getting, a freakishly common occurrence amongst most of the men she encounters in her life. The actor man nods his head as a bickering couple stroll by on their bicycles. A young Spanish-looking man on his bike not saying anything, just carrying a casual smile with the early spring day, slowly makes his way past the couple, only making it past the wife, falling right behind the husband who thinks the cyclist behind him is his wife. He talks casually as if he is her. See that otter over there making its way across the river? The congestion today on the walk is making them flee. Harvey, the wife calls to her husband, seeing that the young man behind him is not his wife. Harvey gets angered, slowing his bike by the busty Peggy and curious actor. Harvey abruptly stops making the young Spanish man behind him nearly run into him. The young Spanish man expertly maneuvers around the obstacle of Harvey while also retaining his placid smile. Hey, use a vocal command to pass! Harvey yells pissed. The younger man sees the anger in Harvey's face and stops his bike. The young man begins making sign language gestures indicating he is unable to hear him. This makes Harvey even angrier. By a fucking bell! Harvey screams as he can feel he is getting bested by a deaf 20-year-old who is far more emotionally stable and good-looking than Harvey. The young actor and Peggy observe seeing that the wife of Harvey is embarrassed as her eyes are staring at the concrete below her bike. Harvey, she says partially defeated, already from his attitude tired and ready to go home. She knew it was a mistake to bike today, but she wanted there to be a good day. A day like she remembers when they were young and full of life and prospects. Now she secretly contemplates suicide thinking the best of life is behind her and that the man she is with provides no comfort or restitution for the coming onset of old age. The deaf man looks at Harvey's wife and then to Harvey. The young Spanish man says something in sign language but Harvey doesn't know what it means. He just sees the look in the young man's eyes that he is embarrassing his wife and making her feel bad, which makes Harvey feel bad. A regretful rush of bottled-up emotions begins to pour out as the deaf man, still smiling, bikes away and leaves Harvey with his public shame. I don't bike as fast as the others, Harvey. I'm sorry, she says, surprised to see tears flowing down Harvey's cheeks as he rushes to his wife embracing her. He begins to weep, actually weep. His wife, 
who will remain nameless for all time to the two curious observers, begins to cry too. Right now is the time of their reconciliation, and it happened in the most unexpected way at the most unexpected moment. Aware of the two observers, Harvey softens, glancing at them and to his wife, smiling. There are going to be many more good days ahead of us, my love. She hugs him, giving him a deep kiss, crying herself. They both get on their bikes and pedal into their new beginning, together refreshed and anew. Random happenings of life continue here at the Riverwalk Park. The cloistered pearl of life and the potential for more life. Peggy adjusts her sports bra, pulling it down slightly, which reveals an even greater depth of cleavage, if you can believe it, which the young actor does as he stares at it unabashed and unafraid to look. Peggy looks down with her blue eyes and red flowing hair down her back, smiling at the young actor, locking eyes with him. See something you like? She asks, appearing just as brave as he. Disciplined, the actor turns looking back to his book of Shakespeare. I really must study. I have a very specific audition to prepare for. Without warning, Peggy grabs the book from the young actor's hand, putting it up to her eyes, looking at it, reading it, studying it in a way that reveals the bounty of her sweaty tits that the young actor is actually very hungry for. I must have been a very hungry baby to love tits this much. He stands, snatching his book from her hands. Thank you! She doesn't let him get away. She grabs a hold of his cock that is hanging down in his shorts, causing them to rise upward, which made it easy for her hand to grab onto it. She can feel he is well endowed, and that makes her nipples get hard as they begin to poke through her sports bra, making the young actor flex his cock in her hand as he looks at her magnificent breasts. She glances around behind her. He glances too. There is no one around. It is a Tuesday, and school is still in session at the local university. The hung actor grabs the top seams of her sports bra that is covering her cleavage and drags it down, revealing her red-hot perfect nipples that reveal the complete totality of her breasts. Ah! A sound she makes with surprised arousal. The young actor tears into her breasts, putting mouth to nipples, sucking them, making the trees and wind begin to flutter, it would seem. He sucks in a huge amount of her breast flesh, feeling the nipple on the tip of his tongue twirling it. She lets out an erotic moan. The young actor looks up at her as she is looking like a wet fuck ready to ride. He grabs the outer exterior of her running pants, feeling the hotness and wetness of her wet pussy that is sopping through. He can feel her clitoris through the material, and he begins to rub it as he moves from sucking her breasts to kissing her tongue and all. She strokes his cock through his shorts, making pre-cum begin to form a wet spot that is showing through his beige pants. She feels the wet spot and begins to rub the head of his cock through his shorts, making it pulsate with desire. She bites his lower lip as he looks behind them to see no one is around. He looks at her deep blue eyes, grabbing the back of her red hair, pulling her head back, kissing her neck and her ear, making his way back down to her exposed double G breasts. Having just remembered he had neglected the left breast, which he begins to suck with intense passion. He pulls the breast out of his mouth and makes a sucking pop sound. Still holding the back of her head, by her red hair, with her face pointing toward the sky, she moans again. This time, her hands make their way down her running pants, instantly with fervor rubbing her clit, even sticking two fingers in her pussy to feel the pre-feeling of fuck. 
She pulls the fingers out and makes him sniff her. He puts her fingers in his mouth as she looks at him submissively as his sex slave. He allows her to adjust her head and look at him with a more commanding field of platitude. He pinches her nipples as her godly breasts hang down. She pulls up his shirt, revealing his tight abs, and begins to pinch his nipples, too. She reaches in his pants and begins stroking his cock, which she can feel is wet and slimy with precum. She strokes it, using the precum as lubrication. She strokes and strokes until there is an eruption that sends a wad of cum all the way up to her breasts as she feels a river of backed-up cum give way in her hand like a breaking dam. Uh, he moans. She is so overtaken, she pulls his cock out, exposing it, dropping to her knees, letting the cum wash over her and flow into her mouth as she rapidly finishes him off with her pulsing tongue and sucking cheeks. She lets his members sink past her bell, slithering all the way down her throat like a sword swallower. She can still feel his pulsing cock getting out more of his backed-up semen, feeling it hit the pit of her stomach. Excuse me, police officer Michael says, who can't deny she wasn't enjoying the show. Yeah, what? screamed the actor. All parties are surprised. The officer doesn't want to deal with this today. Clean up and have a nice day, she says. The checked berating has actually made her wet. Officer Lieutenant Michaels, that is. She turns and walks away from the live show of porn, tripping slightly with her legs turned inward, like she is awkward with her own feelings of lust. The actor looks at the back of Lieutenant Michaels as she walks away, betting he could fuck the both of them right then and there. But he does, as he was told, cleaning up, letting his new Riverwalk lover lick the rest of the cum off the tip of his still, throbbing cock before he finally puts it to rest in his shorts. But he hasn't had enough. He lets Peggy pull his cock back out of his shorts one more time, ignoring reason. Officer Michaels, as she walks east on the Riverwalk path, notices that there are trees, endless trees all around. A simple realization she hadn't ever had since her roaming policing post brought her here to the Riverwalk Park over six months ago. With the officer walking off, Peggy looks up at the actor who begins to read a sonnet. She sucks the tip of his cock until he comes again, this time all over her fantastic tits. One week from today... She will be pregnant with his baby. Officer Michaels had never considered the fact that she might be killed that day. Her days were sometimes long, mostly short, endless roaming around the park that only has two directions, east and west. Bums were the highlight of her day. Finding them camped, she would suggest they find a local shelter to get themselves together. If they didn't willingly leave, they would be forced to leave. It never got that far, though. They would just head on and come back rarely, if ever. Walking east, she thought about the urge she had to walk over to the two lovebirds when they were in their fever pitch of passion and ask if she could watch. She wanted to order them to continue, otherwise the bitch gets the baton and the cunt. She had big tits too, Officer Michaels. They were great to look at, but most of the time concealed behind her bulletproof vest. The chafe on them was something nasty that had, at one point, become infected, and she had to receive an antibiotic. She sometimes found drugs on abandoned pieces of foam that drug runners would use to float their product downriver. The local sled departments cleaned up most of these halfwits. The drugs have found their way to buyers by other means. 
Lieutenant Michaels didn't have much to show for in her career because, well, she was lazy. She always opted for the least amount of responsibility, which is why she is on permanent duty at the Columbia City Riverwalk Park. Officer Michaels rubs her cunt through her police shorts as she walks playing it off to the man that was running who saw her as an everyday itch. Sexual energy spreads. Why not spread into me while I spread my legs, she thought. Mother! hissed a demonic, lisping whisper grunt to her from the edge of the woods. Lieutenant Michaels nearly laughs because it sounded funny, something you would maybe hear on a late-night slasher movie drive-in film right before the poor, unsuspecting half-wit teenager got what was coming to her. Or him. She liked seeing violence play out on the big screen. It always made her excited. She looked around, thinking there was someone playing a trick on her. A bum. A kid. Maybe neither. Maybe it was just something she heard in her head to pass the time. Maybe it was my own voice, she thought as she continued her trek down the path toward her checkpoint clearance report section. There is a low, guttural growl that sounds like something you would hear at the bottom of a septic tank if it had lungs. She stops looking at all of the breezy plants and trees dancing in the wind as the sun shines bright on the mid-late March spring afternoon. Everything is as it should be. The sun is bright. The trees are swinging in their daily dance of rising bloom with the wind, and there are no vagabonds. But there is something out of place, a feeling she has. While Lieutenant Michaels was lazy, she greatly made up for her shortcomings with an unshakable gut instinct that could level the mountain of liars she used to come across when she had spent most of her early youth looking for love. Her life was like a plinko chip that guided her into a loveless, unexciting career. It's my own fault, she thought. Right now, her instinct was telling her not to trust her eyes, but her gut. She felt so strongly about this instinct that she actually drew her weapon in unexplored self-defense. She was actually shaking as she pointed her gun toward the woods that had just called her. Hey! It hisses again. This time, she accidentally discharges her weapon into the woods after sighting in on a turtle who is truly half a shell now. Turtle power! She stupidly thought as cold sweat and racing angst were running over her nerves like a marathon of cats. All the stupid thoughts she let her mind wander around, picking up suddenly came back to her, like an insanity attack. She had the hyper-awareness that she was being watched and toyed with. Something mean. Something small. Something evil was teasing her to fuck up again. No way was she prepared for this type of fear. She was far too meek for this job. Although, she did put on a good exterior show of force so she could at least keep her job. Who's there? I want you to show yourself now! Cunt! Cunt! A guttural hiss emanates from the woods. She looks around to see there is no looking loose in passerbys yet. It is a Tuesday. Barely anyone is this deep on the path on Tuesdays. But whoever you are, you come to the wrong place to cause trouble. I'm armed and extremely dangerous, she says instantly, regretting what she just said. Pretty hokey there, bud, she thought. 
Your, your pop gun won't save you, slit. My weapons are far more powerful and far more flexible. The whispering demonic voice hissed with omnipresence. Lieutenant Michaels is beginning to shake now. She can feel her hands getting numb with fright, cold with regret that she opted to operate completely alone. Hello, officer, a joyful woman says as she walks up behind Lieutenant Michaels, who already has an itchy trigger finger. Lieutenant Michaels spins with her gun, knocking the woman in her head with her elbow, knocking her out cold as her weapon fires off into the woods. Shit, Michaels screams, looking wide-eyed and feral. She looks for her radio that isn't on her duty belt. That goddamn radio is on that goddamn four-wheeler, she says looking at the woman who is having what appears to be a seizure. Her hands and arms are stiff as she makes sick grunting noises with her eyes rolled in the back of her head. God damn it! Michaels hisses through her panicked head using her lips as the megaphone. Lieutenant Michaels takes off running down the path, hoping that no one saw her and that no one finds the seizing woman. She runs for five minutes before she reaches her four-wheeler that has a medical kit and radio. She starts up the four-wheeler, relieved there is no one in sight. Hightailing it down the path at full speed, she rushes by the spot where the woman should be. The woman that is no longer there. Michaels realizes she has passed the spot where the woman should have been. Turning around in the muddy dirt path, just as a turtle crosses the path, and a rabbit stares at her, munching on some grass. A fucking elderly woman. Good going, Michaels, she screams at herself in her head. She gets down off of her police four-wheeler to see a man walking up toward her location as a few geese call out in the distance. She freezes, looking wide-eyed. Quickly, she frantically searches the wooded tree line for the woman, but doesn't find her. All she finds is a bright red Kabbalah string that had been wrapped around the woman's wrist. It was now broken. She had noticed it when the woman's hand flashed in her face as she knocked her out with her elbow. The man running up the path looks like a businessman on a midday run in his brand new Nike Athletic running gear and shoes. His office is probably downtown, and he uses this time wisely to break a sweat. Just as the man runs by, she notices blood near where the Kabbalah string lay broken in the brown mud that smelled like sewage. Because it is. That and other things. She follows with her eyes as the man runs by her, the trail of blood that leads into the dark of the woods around a mound of large stones that had been there since the 1800s. Not knowing what to do, she turns calling out to the running man. Excuse me, sir, she calls out. The man immediately turns around, running in place, smiling as he does. Nothing to hide that one, she thinks. Yes, officer, can I help you? She pauses, taking her time. Her badge and life is very much on the line right now. Uh, did... Did you happen to see an older woman run by here? Did you see her when you were running these past five minutes? The man shakes his head no. I haven't seen a soul except you for the past hour. Is there something wrong? Something I should be on the lookout for? Michaels quickly smiles, flashing her pretty smile that was her only saving grace. No, it's fine. Not, not, nothing to be concerned about. Thank you for your input. She waves to him as he narrows his eyes, thinking something was very peculiar and off with the scene he had just run into. He keeps running, looking at his watch and checking his pulse as he advances further down the Riverwalk Trail. The river is just as it has been always, rushing and full of life. Only the life seems to be much more still now. There isn't really anything stirring in the woods or making a sound. It is early spring. There should be a flurry of animal noises this deep in the woods. Various birds. 
ducks, geese, squirrels, owls, eagles, hawks, etc. But right now, nothing. There is just the hollow gut instinct pitted in the stomach of Michaels that is telling her something is horrifically wrong. A single crow crows above her very loudly, sending a shock of fear through her bodily system, sending a jolt through her that is making her queasy with fear. Her breathing slows. Everything looks blue. She closes her eyes and then opens them as if to readjust to what reality is currently presenting her. She looks at the broken red string that has a trail of blood leading to the woods. She puts one foot in front of the other, confronting her fear of the unknown. With each step, she deepens the probable chance that she too will spill blood. An eye. A fucking human eye. That is what Lieutenant Michaels found waiting for her on the other side of the rocks where the blood trail mysteriously ended. The eye looked perfectly preserved. The optical cord that connects to the brain was still attached like it had been surgically removed by a master surgeon. It lay perfectly in the wet, dark brown mud that smelled of shit. Oh my god, she said. Not waiting for the bad to find her, Michaels pulls her gun. She should be calling back to headquarters right now for backup. There are many protocols to calling into the switchboard, stating, Officer needs assistance. But because she had knocked the woman out cold, she was now culpable with a more than probable murder investigation that would unfold should she find the rest of the human that went with that eye, that perfectly placed gory eyeball of impending doom. The crow. That fucking crow lands next to Officer Michaels, who has her N9 Beretta pointed at the dirt, alert and ready to kill. It crows, then hops down off of the rock, snatching up the eyeball into its beak, flying off before she can protest to swat it down. Good, she whispers, taking the steel as a blessing. Best there is no evidence. I didn't know the old lady. I'm sure she will be missed, but if I have to choose between the truth and my career right now... It's my fucking career. Ideation is the worst habit to have for a cop. It makes the cop angry. It makes the cop nervous. It gives the cop nightmares. Seasoned cops see a death or a brutal murder take place, they let that shit go immediately. They don't think about it afterwards. Right now, Lieutenant Michaels was thinking of all the fantastic and impossible figures that voice took on. Am I crazy to think that was a fucking demon? <sighs> Silly thoughts. Best not to ideate right now. The terror it is causing is too palpable and real. Why is it that death only seems to bring about and reveal the true reality all around us? The hidden meaning of it all. The terror of it all. Just follow the fucking evidence, she whispers to herself. The path has gone cold. There is no more trail of blood. No tracks other than the ones she made walking in here. Frustrated, she looks around for anything that would resemble a fucking clue. Looking down at the rocks, she immediately notices a worn-down placard that is fused with the base rock stones. Stones that were made for grounding artillery during the Civil War. It reads, To all the mix that saved us, and to all the mix that died, have a good long sleep. Lieutenant Colonel Jeffrey Daniels, June 1865. Below it, there is a strange indention below the surface of the rocks. Michaels bends down to see that there is a space between the floor of the forest and the rocks themselves. She pulls out her flashlight, turning it on to see that there is 
a tunnel of some sort. A tunnel that has a human finger just behind where the light meets the darkness. She sits back, falling on her butt, about to lose her lunch. She turns and vomits. When she turns her head back to look, she meets for the first time Stable, the hobbled dwarf demon staring back at her with large reptilian eyes, an elongated nose and snout with ears hobbled and goblin-like. She freezes with her mouth agape, unable to look away. Much like when she was four years old and she had happened. Much like when she was four years old and she happened to turn on Nightmare on Elm Street during the mid-afternoon and had to be talked back into falling asleep by her mother, who told her nothing in that movie had been real. But here it is. A demon. In all its hyper-realism. Its head cocked to the side, hissing at her like a contorted little man with all the features that would tell you it came from Satan. When its eyes blinked, that's when she screamed, Ah! Hello, cunt! I've just been enjoying your fresh kill down here. Stable lops the severed finger into his mouth, crunching it as it chews, making horrific bone-crushing sounds like it is eating an ice cube. Finger-licking good, cunt. Lieutenant Michael shakes her head, feeling the warm stench of piss run down her leg. No, this is impossible, she whimpers. Suddenly, the gory little fingers that look like polished green latex hands elongate their talons, grabbing onto Lieutenant Michael's, pulling her close to the stone cave's pit opening that widens mystically like a contorting reality, opening its mouth wide for her to enter and be consumed. Oh my god, no! Yes, cunt. You killed her. She was dead when I found her. I only finished her as my meal, but it was you who did the dirty job for me. A very large black snake's tongue slithers out of the mouth of stable, licking the lips and teeth of a screaming Lieutenant Michaels who shows no resemblance of courage. Just unadulterated terror. Michaels closes her eyes, begging for the nightmare to end. She opens her eyes wide again. Still here? (laughs) Stable jeers and laughs at her. No! She screams louder. Come! Let me show you the rest of her! Stable screams as he snatches Lieutenant Michaels and all of her body down into the deep, dark, pit where the demon and his kills reside. The recent and the old Lieutenant Michaels will be the freshest. Terror. Stark raving mad terror. Few humans as young and vibrant as Lieutenant Michaels know what it is to discover the hidden meaning of the word terror. Words are words until they are experienced right now. As she is dragged to the dungeon of a demon, she is discovering the visceral reality of that word. Slime. The feeling of slime like she is being dragged into the smelly intestinal pit of a large beast that had lubricated itself for its fresh meal that was inbound. Dragged by Stable, the hidden dwarf demon from the deepest, most hidden realms of the secret occult grunts with guttural groans and burps with slithering snake tongue hisses. (laughs) No! 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 Michael screamed like a little girl. She screamed like she screamed in her nightmares. Guttural, non-specific tone, high-pitched madness. That's good cunt. Squeal! I love a good squeal! 
Stable barked at her with a voice that sounded like a phantasm of evil. Further down they go, deeper into the dark pit where nightmares are created. The origination of all bad where the good get eaten. <laughs> she screamed. Stable, stopping their dragging descent, runs up the leg and chest of Michael's, biting her lips, jaw, and tip of her tongue, ripping into it like a wild, rabid animal that is blood-lusting for its meal as it feeds. <coughs> she screamed through gargled, blood-curdling, glass-shattering screams as her lips, part of her tongue and jaw were bitten off. Airy pockets of squeals emanate from the open gushing wounds of blood on her face. Stable looks down at her with his large, satanic reptilian eyes that have a human touch of zeal. The freshest! You taste so sweet! The fear makes it taste better! Fear me! Scream for me, cunt! Michaels goes to defend herself, throwing the little demon off of her body, but he sticks like glue, instantly ravaging her arms with his extra-long black teeth that are a row behind his human-looking teeth. Michaels can feel her arms getting crushed under the weight of his inhuman jaw strength as her arms are mangled and crippled, made useless. She watches as her hands are bitten off. Stable's jaw unhinges, making room for its size, dropping it into his mouth, chewing it like ice cubes, sounding like breaking glass and bone. <coughs> she gurgled. Stable bites off her left hand, making the task of playing piano impossible now. With the same anaconda-like unhinging of his jaw, he gulps in the hand, chewing it fingers and all with gushing hate in the face of the terrorized young Lieutenant Michaels. She sees a flash of the two lovebirds she had told to stop their raucous, salacious behavior. She regrets telling them to stop. She regrets not having intervened and joined them. Maybe then she would not be here in the dungeon of the demon getting eaten. The juxtaposition of the thought of them alive and full of passion makes her scream even louder. Stable continues to drag her further down the pit that is impossibly dark. A red light ahead indicates something terrible and sinister further awaits her. She is still not dead. She is still very much alive. She can feel the walls that are covered in human flesh and scalps. She knows they are scalps because... She could feel the hair brush up against her elbow. She has truly investigated the wrong rabbit hole. You came down the wrong rabbit hole, little girl. Stable snickers, still licking the blood of her hands from his jowls. They enter the red light that feels as if they are falling. She feels like she is floating. God, God. Please let this be it. Please let me finally be dead. But she isn't dead. She is still very much alive. She knows this because she feels the excruciating, jagged, stabbing pains of human bones breaking under her pounding weight as she comes to a hard rest over the hidden bodies of others. Still bleeding out, she feels dizzy. The red light illuminates all of the rotting corpses and completely barren bones. There must be thousands of them. Stable runs up to her bleeding stubs that used to be her hands. Not so fast! 
Fire shoots from Stable's mouth as he cauterizes the wounds, making the bleeding stop. He opens an old bottle of VH vegetable juice and forces it down her bloody throat. Gotta keep you alive for the good kill. <laughs> Stable laughs, maniacally hissing and slithering over her broken, mangled face like a pervert without consequence. She is the only police nearby. The consequence is nil. She slowly wavers back and forth from consciousness. The little fucker stable even gives her smelling salts to wake her up. Not dead yet! Not dead yet! The sounds of a moaning sob gives way to many as a death chorus erupts with pain and agony. There are others here in this mound of rotting humanity that are still alive, Michaels thinks as she too erupts, adding to the symphony with her own screams. Stable tilts his head back and makes some sort of screeching howl that sounds like nothing she has ever heard before. It is a sound of demonic ecstasy. It is a sound of lust for more blood. More tears derived from suffering. <coughs> the weary, teary voices cried out with scream. Stable begins scouring the mound of dead and living, their bodies all crumpled up, stacked and mixed on top of each other, looking unrelentingly bleak. Lieutenant Michaels was now one of the many here that he took his time with to feast upon. Like a French king with all the wealth and gluttony his powers could afford, Stable begins to whistle a tritone comedy that sounds like demonic doom. The sound of his whistle juxtaposed with the ever-present red light and the scattered remains of a mountain of human flesh makes the fear and agony sear that much more over the failing emotional will of Lieutenant Michaels as if being cooked on a griddle. Stable finds a rotting head. He reaches his hands and plucking out the eyes. He eats one, mushing it with his teeth, making it pop like a bursting cherry. He holds the other eye, dangling it in front of himself as he crawls on all fours, stepping on eyes, ears, noses, mouths, cheeks, arms, legs, torsos, and mashed pieces indistinguishable from hamburger made from the bowels of humans. We know it's a he, because he has a very large dragging two-foot that has appeared like a giant anaconda slithering over the faces of the living and the dead who are either screaming or too shocked to make a sound. Frozen in death terror, Stable hovers over Lieutenant Michaels, over Lieutenant Michaels who has a crazed look of what could be confused to be glee as she writhes in everlasting agonizing pain. He holds the eye above her, dangling it. She doesn't look at it. She just searches for the source of the red light she is sure will be her entrance to hell, which has to be better than the current realm of reality she is experiencing. Do you know whose eye this is? Michaels doesn't answer. Stable leaps near her head, slithering his black snake's tongue in her face. Answer me, or I'll eat your pretty eyes. A moan combined with a wail escapes her mouth. No! She screams as if her chest is being sat on, which it is now by stubby Stable. Stable laughs, licking it, flicking it, making it bob with his serpent's tongue as excrement exits his little body onto her. Processed remains of all those around. No, you don't. You don't know. Just 
like you didn't know whose eye that was waiting for you as bait by the shifting stones. The stones placed by the rebel soldiers who summoned me. I have been in this cave for a millennia, waiting for the right level of violence that would summon me. The great American Civil War summoned me. I have been loose since then. Feeding as I do. Michaels turns her head looking at the evil stable that tricked her into thinking she had killed an elderly woman who was now walking free high above the surface of the normal world above them. If it was above, they were certainly below now. But where that below exists is anyone's guess. She is probably getting help right now, telling your superiors the bad thing you did by striking her. They will be looking for you for days, for weeks, for months, even years. But they will not find you. No, you will be here with me as my long, digestible food feeding my bottomless belly for as long as I can keep you alive. And some here have been kept alive for years. Men, women, and children. At first, they provide the base of this mountain of flesh we sit upon. For the past fifty years, I have stolen women. Women with bright futures. Never the old. They are too easy to die. I like them young and fresh, like you. Stable rips off Lieutenant Michael's right ear with its demonic teeth that rest behind the smiling layer of what look like old wooden ones from a time long gone by. Lieutenant Michael's missing ear is flooded with blood. Stable takes his little hand talon and punctures her eardrum, making her foam and vomit up blood and bile. Stable leaps to the other side of her good ear. Testing. One, two, he berates in her good ear, moans, inhuman groans now fester inside of her like the bodies she is surrounded by and on top of, screams, endless screams fill the void as the endless red light fills the chasm of a lost hidden reality under the Riverwalk stones no one could suspect would be the tenth level entrance to a hell created by the hate of others run by a dwarf demon named Stable. The knocking of wood echoes over the cavern of evil. Stable looks up climbing over the face of Lieutenant Michaels whose eyes have begun to glaze. He leaves slashes from his hand and feet talons over her face making her look like a piece of morbid art. His tongue slithers as he crawls over the walls of human flesh that line the cavern like decorative wallpaper. More! 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 He screams into the cavern, looking at the mighty mound of dead and dying he has created. Penny Thomas McNamara hadn't called her husband for anything of perilous importance in over 15 years. He was older now, a torn-up Marine who had a nasty mean streak in him tamed by her many years ago after he had returned home from war. 
Penny awoke from her unconscious state madder than she's ever been after the female police officer had attacked her, leaving her sunk in the mud. She quickly decided to call her husband Billy in a fit of anger. She did not want to involve more police that would potentially keep favor with the assaulting officer. She wanted to reawaken Billy's mean streak to have a talk with the assaulting officer whom she wanted leverage over. It's always good to have a bad cop under your thumb from time to time, she thought as she and Billy, her husband, walked with hostility and rage down their new path of purpose toward where the assaulting incident recently took place. When they arrived, they found Lieutenant Michael's four-wheeler in place with the medical kit accessible and the radio still strapped to the handlebar. Billy already liquored up, under the suggestion of his wife Penny, grabs his old Vietnam canteen he used for the same purpose, which was to hold his liquor that would feed him liquid courage when the time called for battle. Where's this fucking twat? Wrong, Billy. She's a cunt. Billy kicks the medical kit off of the four-wheeler where it was abandoned, sending it flying near to where the setting stones would be hidden behind the bushes away from the rushing river's edge. Penny smiles a bit as she sees her Billy is good and mad just what she needs to scare the young female officer into submission for future nefarious deeds she may need done. Deeds like using Officer Lieutenant Michaels to scare away voting and real estate competition that has been stealing business away from her. Penny begins to add to the festering hostility with her sweet sexualized voice that made Billy mad with lust for her when they were still in their twenties so long ago. This juxtaposition of sex and violence would trigger even more anger from Billy. Well, that's just so nice of her to bring the medical kit like that. I could have been killed. I could have been dead. But she brought her fucking medical kit and not the fucking ambulance. Penny said, sucking in her breaths, making it sound like she might be getting fucked. A vocal trick of sexualized control over her impressionable husband. Billy is pissed. He takes another big gulp of his wild turkey from his Vietnam-era canteen, looking at his wife's tits that are ample. She isn't wearing a bra. Her nipples poke to attention through her dirty white shirt, revealing this fact. Penny, I promise you this bitch is going to get a good slap on the mouth from me for this. Eye for an eye. They both look around for Lieutenant Michaels, who is obviously nowhere in sight. Not completely obvious for these two. Yet. Well, maybe she went to call for backup, Billy says in a drowning drunken slur. Well, she can't be far. Penny stands in such a way that her breasts perk up as she pushes her hand into her lower back, perking her chest up, making Billy mad with lust. He was always a breast man, which was good because Penny's ass was flat as a pancake. Just then, a sound deep within the river setting stones past the bushes is heard, startling Penny and Billy. Did you hear that? Billy asks. Probably just an echo carrying in the wind, Penny says dismissively. It sounded like a woman's voice calling out for help, Billy says just barely above a whisper. His wartime PTSD is making a comeback as he can feel the panic set in. He takes another gulp of whiskey to numb the coming fear of death and pain only war can instill within you. Penny ponders, looking into the bushes. That was a woman's voice screaming for help, a blood-curdling scream that sounded inhuman. Penny thought silently to herself as the heat of the day began to bother her with the sweat of humidity. It even sounded like a woman that might be deaf. The horde of long moans in the cry would suggest that. A sound of claws scraping stone can be heard. 
Probably a possum hiding in the woods over there by them stones. As Billy says this, he suddenly hears the Rolling Stones' satisfaction playing in his head, which makes him start humming the tune to himself as he is feeling good and drunk right about now. A sensorial memory reaction to a wartime youth long gone by caused by the present heightened sense of things. And I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no da -na -na satisfaction. Billy smiles, twirling around, trying to get Penny to dance with him. God damn it, Billy, you focus and stop that foolishness this instant. Billy smiles and then becomes angered when he sees Penny is spitefully pissed that he is not taking this serious enough as he should be. That, and his hand has been swatted away from grabbing one of her large breasts. Two breasts he secretly loves more than the woman they are attached to. Billy, in a far-off time, was a hungry baby that did not get sufficient breastfeeding time as an infant, which is why he loves big breasts so much. Billy doesn't know this, but his subconscious does. For him, those two large mammary glands represent abundance. That cunt! Taking the joy out of my day, taking the happiness from my penny, Billy garbles. Where's that fucking twat? Billy takes off lingering into the woods toward the setting stones where he heard the animal clawing sounds. He disappears behind the bushes. Penny tisks. God damn it, Billy. Come back. United is one, remember? Show a force. Billy goes silent. Penny looks for a sign revealing Billy's whereabouts, but the wooded trees are too dense with fresh foliage. Hey, Penny! Come take a look at this. You love historical finds? I found some history for you. Penny, slightly pissed, slightly intrigued, obliges her husband's beckoning and walks forcefully with her arms at her side that turn over, crossing her chest when she smells the stench of rotting shit fill her nostrils. As she walks over, she sees Billy is looking at something on the ground in front of him. I'm here, Billy. What did you want me to see? Billy doesn't say anything. He just looks at the dirt. Are you okay, Billy? She asks, thinking he is having a panic attack or maybe the beginning of a heart attack. Yeah, I'm fine. There was this placard on this setting stone from the Civil War era. He points to the river rock lazily next to him as whatever has captivated his still and attentive attention has made him lose interest in the historical find. Well... What are you so busy with over there in the dirt? She goes to take a step toward him, but he puts up his hand forcefully into the air, halting her. This frightens her. She has never seen Billy silenced this way. He must be having a stroke. God damn it, Billy, what is it? Penny walks over to her husband anyway. She sees the faded placard with the dedication quote that has not changed. She smiles a bit. She always did love history. Historical buildings were her bread and butter in the local real estate business she had that was currently flourishing. Her eyes pan over to her husband who is crouched in the mud and looking down at something in front of him. What? What is it? She asks as she peers over his shoulder to see there is the deeply indented shape of a handprint in the mud that looks like whatever hand was attached had been dragged up underneath the rocks. She looks again at her husband, who has something clutched in his hand as if he is hiding it from her. Billy, what is in your ha Penny is hushed to silence. 
She sees there is blood emptying out of his hand, trickling down his arm into the mud. He opens his hand to reveal the singular eyeball that is from a person with blue eyes. Just like Lieutenant Michaels had, Penny shrieks in terror at the sight of the eye. Oh God, Harold, what is it? Who's Harold? Billy asks. Penny has just let slip after over 40 years of silence the name of her seditious extramarital love affair. He was a colonel in the army. Billy hated the army with fever and passion. Knowing this news would have killed him, or he would have killed her. No one. I'm just shocked to see that eyeball is all. She says, quickly changing the subject as she squats down in the mud next to him in front of the settling rock placard that is laminated to the stones. Do you regret us not having children of our own? Billy asks as he looks with deep gripping fear into the eyes of his wife. This makes her eyes tear up. She starts shaking. Oh, Billy, stop holding onto that piece of filthy gore. She hisses, swatting the eyeball out of his hand that rolls into the dark crevice underneath the river's setting stone rock. Billy grabs onto his wife, burying his face into her chest, crying with years of hidden regret. I'll have nothing left behind. Suddenly, there is a hiss. Hey! Stable slithers from the black dark of nothing hidden underneath the entrance of the setting stones. Billy and Jenny glance over. Come, my children! Let me feast upon your minds. Just like before the other thousands of victims before them, they are snatched by demonic taloned arms underneath the setting stones into the deep, dark pit. Finn.